In Midrash Rabban, the book of Ayikra, the book of Leviticus, also called Teres Kayanim, we learn, Rabasi states, Why do we begin teaching Torah to children with the book of Ayikra, with Teres Kayanim? Why don't we begin with Bereshit in the beginning? The answer, because the children are pure and the sacrifices are pure. So the pure ones should come and be involved with purity. What does Rabiasi mean with the words, the sacrifices are pure? Some commentaries say that this refers to the fact that sacrifices must be brought when one is in a pure state and not in an impure state. According to other commentaries, the intention is that through sacrifices one becomes pure of sin. But both of these explanations leave us with questions. The terminology used in the Midrash, the sacrifices are pure, sounds like it's really talking about the actual korbanot, sacrifices, suggesting that they are pure, and it doesn't look like it's a reference to those who bring the sacrifices. But explaining it this way, like the sacrifices are pure, also isn't quite right, as this qualification of pure is not used in the Torah reference to the sacrifices. The terms that are used to qualify viable sacrifices are complete and choice, but pure is not used as a qualification. Perhaps we could understand this qualification of pure in the Midrash as in line with what the sages teach us about the sacrifices that were brought before the Torah was given at Sinai. At that time, all animals that were pure were appropriate for use as a sacrifice, even maimed animals. So the qualifications before the giving of the Torah was that a sacrifice, beast or fowl, male or female birds, had to be pure. And the connection between the pre-Sinai sacrifices and our discussion, which is about children, is that little ones who have no obligation as yet in mitzvot, nor in the bringing of sacrifices, are comparable to these pre-Sinai sacrifices in that there was no obligation and no commandment yet to bring a sacrifice. This explanation is, however, challenging in that the Midrash explains the reason why the study of little children begins with this book in Torah, which begins with and contains the discussions of the sacrificial laws after the Torah was given to Moshe. So the comparison between little children to sacrifices before Matan Torah doesn't fit. In the Midrash Tanchuma, this same teaching of Rabbi Yossi is also mentioned, and the Midrash then continues and says, Therefore I consider it as though these children are standing before me and bringing sacrifices to me, to let us know that though the Beit HaMikdash has been destroyed and there is no longer the ability to bring sacrifices, there are still the children who study the order of sacrifices, and without them and their study, the world could no longer stand. What's surprising here is that a little further on, the Midrash Tanchoma continues and says, Therefore God said to the nation of Israel, My sons, if you involve yourself with a portion of Korbanot, I consider it as though you are bringing the sacrifices. So in fact, everyone who's busy with a portion of the sacrifices, and not just the little children, are considered by God to be offering up a sacrifice. So how does this fit in with what we mentioned earlier, when we said that if not specifically for the little ones reading the order of the korbanot, the world would no longer be standing? 
we must then determine that when young children study Teres Kayanim, its effect of it is as though they are bringing actual sacrifices is of greater value and more complete than the learning of any other person, and this then ensures the existence of the world. What is the difference, actually? We'll better understand this with an explanation on the previously mentioned teaching of our sages that before the Torah was given, all pure animals were appropriate for sacrifice. This is something we learn from the fact that Nayach was instructed to take pairs of all the pure animals into the ark. The Talmud asks the question, were there pure and impure animals at that time? And the answer is that pure were all those that would in the future be considered pure. In other words, the sacrifices of Noyach, which were obviously prior to the giving of the Torah, were in fact a composite of two opposing experiences. The sacrifices that he brought were not to fulfill a commandment. Noyach in particular did not actually keep the commandments as our forefathers did even before it was given. Noyach bringing sacrifices was like Adam and people at the time who brought sacrifices when they were moved to do so for personal reasons. But because Noyach brought only of the animals that would one day be considered pure, this is indication and even proof that while in Noyach's time one ate both pure and impure animals, hence the question in the Talmud, were there pure and impure animals, but as for sacrifices, he already understood a distinction between pure and impure that would exist in the future. And so since the time of Noyach, the, qualification in Torah, the qualifications in Torah were already beginning to be put in place. Even though it was before Matan Torah, and even though Noyach preceded the time of our forefathers who fulfilled all the precepts of the Torah, nevertheless for this reason, Noyach brought a sacrifice specifically from the animals which would be considered pure in Torah in the future. Now, since Noyach's connection to these tariff qualifications is noted only in regard to his bringing sacrifices, we might then say that the idea of bringing sacrifices had a unique connection to the time even before the Torah was received. One way to explain this is that sacrifices, which after the Torah was given became a mitzvah, a commandment, effectively and essentially transcend Torah and the commandments, and they therefore atone for and complete one's lack or one's being remiss in Torah and mitzvahs. In other words, when a Jew brings a sacrifice to God, he expresses his closeness to God, his essential bond as a Jew, independent of the Torah and the fulfillment of mitzvahs. This bond is not achieved through a mitzvah, and it's not diminished by a lack of mitzvahs, as the essential bond of a Jew and God transcends Torah and transcends mitzvahs. This is so clearly taught in the Mishnah in the Tractate of Kedushin in the words, Bonim atem Hashem You are children to the Lord your God, and even if they have sinned, says God, they are mine. This then is the reason why sacrifices atone for sin. When a Jew, God forbid, transgresses God's will and his unity with God, which comes through his study of Torah and fulfillment of mitzvahs, is blemished, it isn't his essential bond that is blemished, as there can be no blemish at the point of essence, and the sacrifices atone 
wiping away the stain of sin. Accordingly, we can better understand the idea of sacrifices in general, because there really seems to be a question around this idea of sacrifices. How could it be that this facet of our divine service, the expression of Avoida, service itself, was set up by God to be manifest through slaughtering an animal and sacrificing it on the altar? It would seem more appropriate that the nature of this divine service be something more spiritual, like service of the heart, meditation, or prayer. Wouldn't that better represent and reveal the essential bond of a Jew and God? Particularly as not only Jews brought sacrifices, all nations of the world had the opportunity to bring sacrifices even to the temple itself. Accordingly, what is understood is that specifically, because the essential bond of a Jew and God is by God's design and choice, it transcends the bond created through Torah and mitzvahs, that though Asaph was a brother to Jacob, it was Jacob who God loved, for which reason it's specifically in animal sacrifices that this bond becomes emphasized. Externally, there is no obvious spiritual Jewish connection here. Yet it is only the sacrifices of a Jew that awakens the essential connection that is of God's choosing, just like it is the Jewish physical body that God chooses over the non-Jew's body, even as their physicality is so completely similar. Therewith we can understand why the sacrifices of Nayach, before the giving of the Torah, had a connection to sacrifices after the giving of the Torah. They were of the pure category that would be categorized as pure after receiving the Torah. Nayach's sacrifices were thanks to God for saving him from the flood. In the portion of Nayach, we read that the flood ended and God remembered Nayach. Chassidus explains that this verse is one of the verses mentioned on Rosh Hashanah at the section of our Musaf prayers called Remembrances, Zichreines, when God recalls us for good. The remembering of Nayach is reflective of the essential Jewish soul, this aspect of sacrifices that reveals essence, reflects and reveals essence. So though Nayach lived before the giving of the Torah, before God chose us, uvanu v'charta, from among every nation and language, and he, Nayach, didn't have freedom of choice as our forefathers did in choosing to know God, giving existence to our people as a nation, yet there was a connection between Nayach and the souls of the nation of Israel, and he is therefore mentioned in love in the portion of Musaf prayers on Rosh Hashanah. Now we can also understand why the sacrifices that he brought after God remembered him, saved him from the floodwaters for which he thanks God, are connected to the sacrifices of the nation after the giving of the Torah. This is the explanation for the words of the Midrash regarding the sacrifices discussed in Torah's Kohanim, the pure sacrifices. Even while this concept of pure sacrifices is relevant to the time that preceded Matan Torah, as mentioned earlier. The inner significance of sacrifices is, as we said, revealing the essential love of God for the Jew, a love that transcends the connect connection through Torah, which is expressed more fully in Nayach's sacrifices pre the giving of the Torah, before sacrifices were a commandment, a mitzvah. Post-Sinai sacrifice, sacrifices are a mitzvah, a commandment, and we don't recognize their transcendence the same way.
According to everything we've discussed, the words of the Midrash, that little children begin their Torah study with Torah's koanim, so that the pure will come and be involved with the pure, will be understood. We've touched on three eras in the life of our people. From the time of the giving of the Torah onwards, when Jews accepted and fulfilled Torah and the commandments by God's instruction. The second era is from the time of our patriarchs onwards, who observed the Torah in its entirety, though they were not commanded to do so. And the third, before the time of our forefathers, in Nayak's time, when he had only a connection to Torah that consisted of awareness of purity and impurity. These three eras are com- comparable to the three eras that exist in the life of every Jew. The first, after one becomes bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, it is obligated to fulfill mitzvahs. The second, when one reaches the age of chinuch, education, and the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvahs is like a preparation for the time when he or she will be obligated in Torah. The third is before the age of chinuch, before the age of education, before the age of six years is even reached. And yet, because this is a Jewish child, he or she has a connection to Torah. And more than that, the Torah is theirs as an inheritance from Yaakov, from Jacob, and even a newborn inherits the Torah and is connected to its ideas and concepts. Since a child who has not yet reached the age of education doesn't do the actual work of fulfilling the Torah and mitzvah, what can be seen is a deep value of being a Jewish child, the inner and deep love God has for the Jew is more obvious and more revealed in the child who has not yet reached the age of education. This is what the Midrash intends with the words, the pure should come and be involved with purity, as the purpose of the sacrifices is to reveal and to express God's essential love that transcends the love through the study of Torah. And it is this that creates atonement, Let it be the pure children who know not the taste of sin, who study the work of the karbanot, the sacrifices, and reveal that which is naturally revealed within them, the essential love of God for a Jew. Now we can further understand why the study of the children, the pure involved with purity, is what gives existence to the world. When the adult is involved in this chapter of sacrifices of divine service, His involvement is in the realm of thought and speech, not action. These two garments of the soul, thought and speech, facilitate the revelation of man's intellect or his emotions and feelings. But the experience of this revelation is not the details of the experience, the lettered points of it, or the conscious aspects of these two garments. Neither those that inform the intellect nor those that inform the emotion that is significant only that there is this thought or that there is this emotion. And since what is revealed is the thought or the emotion and not what informs it, it becomes an experience that does not resonate with the essential essence of a Jew, God's divine choice of Yisrael. It's specifically when the little ones study, and more specifically the earliest beginnings of their study, prior to the conscious state of instruction, as indeed is our custom, that only with the little ones, and only as an intro to their learning, do they begin with Vayikra. After that, their learning follows the individual curriculums created in the places that they learn in. When a child learns at this stage, 
he or she is only reading the words they are taught. His or her lips form the words, but there's no conscious connection to the ideas. And it's this specifically that evokes and reveals the essential love God has fully and completely, thus assuring the continued existence of the world.